Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to the best in the world. Yes, it's another week where we can learn from the greatest athletes on the planet. Olympic champions, world champions, former world record holders and former world number ones are all on the best in the world because we want to improve our everyday lives by getting the tips from the very best people on the planet. This week, I'm speaking to the Olympic rowing champion, Matt Langridge. Matt finally won gold at the Rio 2016 Olympics, part of the British crew that won the men's eights. He spoke about his whole journey because he won silver at the 2008 Games in Beijing and then bronze in the 2012 Games in London. And he tells me on this podcast that after London 2012, he almost quit the sport completely. But he's pretty pleased that he didn't as he's now an Olympic champion and he's now on the best in the world with Richard Parr. What an honour that is. It's a really fun chat. We talk about a whole range of things, how his life has changed since winning gold. Does he miss the intense training? Who he looks up to as role models? We also discuss his love of Liverpool and his music playlist. So much in today's fantastic best in the world with the Olympic rowing champion, Matt Langridge. Go and listen to that. Just before we get to the interview, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. They are the leading supplier of audiobooks in the world. 180,000 titles for you to choose from. And you can check out their service for free for 30 days. And in fact, they'll throw in a free audiobook for you to try out. It's a product I personally use, so give it a try. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best to check out their service. You get a free audiobook, so why not give it a go? All right, let's get to my interview with Matt Langridge. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
Matt Langridge, Olympic rowing champion, welcome to the best in the world. You had that amazing success becoming champion in Rio in August. How has it been since then? Can you has it all sunk in yet? Um, I, I'm not sure I have really, to be honest. Um, I think I think it's all been quite a surreal experience since the Olympics. Um, certainly, the immediate emotion after the race was almost disbelief that uh, this big goal that I've been working for for so long had finally achieved. And then it's just been an absolute whirlwind since then with uh, media events and um, yeah, and, and it just I don't feel like I've had time fully yet to let it sink in, and I'm. I think it's something that is probably going to take me another, a couple of months more to do. And then maybe when the hype of the Olympics has fully died down, then I can kick back and take stock of it all, really. Do you enjoy this period? Because obviously when you're training for Olympics, you, you go through a specific routine and you're working really, really hard and, and now you don't have to do it. Do, do you like this time or do you kind of miss that kind of that workload, that schedule? I think, I mean, there's definitely a lot of um, fun things we've done since then. But yeah, in, in some sense, we we spend so long in that bubble training and doing that daily routine of being told when to get up, when to eat, when to sleep, when to train, what to do, um, that that becomes what you're familiar with. And definitely this is, is out of the norm for us. Um, and there are times where you kind of, you do feel a little bit lost and, um, you do crave that routine and that stability that rowing gives you. Uh, but equally, it's, it is nice to, to be a bit more relaxed and do the fun events that normally we don't get to do. With, with rowing, training takes over and uh, we might get invited to things, but quite often we have to turn down and we're not able to do them. But So it's quite nice to have the time to do them and, and actually go and enjoy them and, and enjoy the reward of the hard work we've put in. Well, I'm, I'm glad you've made time to be on the best in the world today. Really appreciate that. What has been your favourite thing you've done since Rio? Then, out of all of those events, um, I think one of my favourite things was I um, I got invited down to Anfield. Um, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I got down and um, I got uh, hospitality in the Legends Lounge. Um, I got to take my dad, uh, which is great, and uh, yeah, we, we got to meet all the. Um, uh, a lot of the ex-players got to meet me and, uh, Ian Rush, Gary McAllister, um, and then we got to go down uh, on the pitch uh, and got introduced to the crowd. And yeah, I mean, it's great. As we were leaving, we got a standing ovation from the cop. And I think um, being a, a Liverpool fan and growing up and and going to the matches, to actually get to stand there and I said get your own standing ovation from the cop. I think for for me it was incredible. And um, yeah, I mean that that was a great feeling. But then there's there's also been things. I mean, I've had I've had four parades. Um, probably the the highlight for me had the four. Uh, I had a parade in Henley. I've had a parade in Northwich. Um, we had Manchester parade and London parade. And I think I d- definitely the Northwich one as well for me was a, a real highlight. Again, being in my hometown and uh, again, it's it's just a very surreal experience. And you're never really sure how to take it and what to do, but it's great to kind of be back in your hometown and have all these people that kind of have heard of you and to come out and celebrate and celebrate the achievement you've done. Um, but again, as I said, it's, it's always very weird. You don't know how to take it. You don't know how to handle it because it's not something we're, we're kind of familiar with and it, it kind of all comes at once. But I think everything is, you've got to take everything you stride and yeah, it's, it's, it's all been really good fun and just 
make the most of it really because it could definitely won't last forever yeah that must have been absolutely amazing in particular uh, at Anfield with the carpool standing uh, I'm, a, I'm a Liverpool fan as well Matt what uh, who, who is oh, your favourite well, player case, you know exactly how, <laughs> what, <laughs> who, what it must mean who, who is your favourite player who, who, who are the kind of the sports stars from Liverpool and and we'll also talk a bit more in, in general as well that, that you've looked up to that you've admired that you've almost wanted as a role model I think for me, obviously, when I mean initially when I when I first started uh, supporting Liverpool, obviously it was the uh, early nineties. So obviously, um, it's, it's, I mean, obviously Ian Rush was was a big one uh, to begin with. Obviously, being uh, such being such a great striker, um, I mean, you naturally you naturally look up to the the players that scoring the goals. I think it's the uh, it's the natural thing. But then obviously with Steven Gerrard and all, all those guys, there's been so many great great players at Liverpool over the time. But um, I mean, I think at the moment it's it's brilliant to watch. It's, I'm really enjoying having an actual chance to sit down and watch the Premiership because they're flying and they're playing so well. It's such great football. But um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to actually have the time to properly sit down and watch all the games and stuff. So. Uh, but yeah, definitely. As a, I mean, as a sports sportsman, you are a massive sports fan. Uh, I'm also really, really into the uh, motor racing, the F1. Um, so, so I get to to watch that when I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do definitely. I kind of try to watch as many sports as I can, and I, I do really enjoy sport. Mm. And what did what did Ian Rush say to you when you got to meet him? Uh, well, I mean, there wasn't anything. Uh, one of the nicest things actually was that I got to meet in a more relaxed environment. Um, so it was just just general chat, chatting about what I've done and what he's done. And um, I think a lot of the time we, uh, when you go to these events, that you get to meet people very often. It's, it's such a quick um, introduction, a bit of small talk, and, and then you're off, and then you meet the next person. Um, so what was really nice about that day was that. Uh, we were in the Legends Lounge. We got to relax, and you just get to generally chat about about their experience and and, and my experience. And as I, I said, sportsman and sports fan, it's, it's I always find it really interesting to to hear how other people other people's experience in other sports. Uh, I mean, obviously in Rome we have our set routines, and most of our stories will be pretty similar because it's all driven by the training and and by the routine, but then each sport is, is different. I mean, obviously football is their, their training program and uh, they do a lot more games than we do. Uh, there's, yeah, I mean, uh, the whole setup of their sport is different, but everybody's always got the same goal to me and that's to, that's to compete and win. Um, so I always find it interesting just hearing what everyone's got to say. And it, it was really nice because it was a much more relaxed environment and, and um, than the usual meet and greet uh, that you do sometimes get when you go to these events mm, and that's what we try to do on the best in the world we're trying to find out those things which each athlete does in different sports to make them the best at what they do now you mentioned there were differences there between football and rowing in your chat did did anything come up where there were similarities between the two sports which you, you didn't necessarily expect um I mean, I think also. Uh, I mean, I think football is a is a very different different sport to rowing. I mean, rowing, as I said, but in terms of the amount of times you compete, it's, it's kind of opposite ends ends of the scale. They they compete every week, whereas rowing, 
we do massive amount of training for very little racing. Um, so our, our kind of schedule is a lot more more rigid because it's all building up to this race, whereas football has to be a bit more flexible and fluid because that, that they might they might have to compete, they might have to have a match in the midweek, they might have to have a match at the weekend, it might be Saturday, it might be Sunday. So in terms of training, they're, they're very much trying to build their training around those matches. Uh, and because there's so many more of them, it, I think in, in, in that sense, it is, it is quite different. Um, but like I said, I think ultimately with sport, the, uh, the similarity is always, no matter what the sport is, that we're always trying to compete and we're always trying to be the best at what we do. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess, um, I guess in that sense, it, it, it they are the same, but then in the way that they achieve them, they're, they're very different. Mm. With that in mind about you doing a lot more training, a, a lot less competitions and races, we had Brian Clay, the former decathlon Olympic gold medalist on the show uh, a couple of months ago. And what he said is that he would train so hard, much more hard than he would actually to a level he would ever reach in competition. So when he actually came to competition, it was actually easier than training. Is that something similar you guys do in rowing? And, and just how grueling can some of your training sessions be, Matt? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think it is. I think ultimately you you always look to deliver your best performance on the day. And that's, that's when you... But you can only do that by really testing the boundaries in training. Um, I think all for us as well, obviously rowing is a, certainly in the eight, it's, it's, a, it's a team sport that you, you've got to go into those races relying totally on, on each other. And a lot of the time that, that trust is built from what you've done in training. It's, it's the fact that you've, you've been with the guys, you've seen how hard they've pushed, you know that they're, they're as capable, if not more, of pushing themselves to the absolute limit and, and you build that trust in training and, because uh, you have to, when you go into a race, okay, especially well in any boat with a single, you're, you're there and you know you can only achieve if all eight of you are, are really on the same page and prepared to push yourself to the absolute limit. And I think for, for me and, well, for, for as rowers, that's, we test that limit in training. Um, we, we don't always simulate an, an absolute max out race, but we simulate pushing ourselves to the absolute limit in various ways. I mean, we have this, um, one of my dreaded tests that we do was every Wednesday we would have this half an hour test where um, it's half an hour on the row machine. Uh, the rate is set, but it's it's basically as far as you could possibly get in that time. Um, and, and that's where, and, and we'll do that whether we're at sea level or we're at altitude. Obviously the altitude ones are always oh. significantly worse because <laughs> there's less oxygen. But that is where you build that confidence in yourself and the confidence of the, the guys around you, just how hard and how mentally tough you can be. And so then when it almost comes to the race, then, well, you, you, I, for me, certainly, I, I, I wouldn't think about how hard it was going to be. I think about making sure that I delivered the best I could do technically, making sure that I was really relaxed because I knew, I knew that I wasn't going to, when those questions were asked and, when it did get a bit dark in the race and you, um, you it started to hurt that I knew I'd push through that and I knew I'd, I'd um, push through that pain because I'd done it time and time and time again in training. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think it, I wouldn't say it's necessarily easier in training because sometimes the races you really have to dig deep, but 
you, you've built that confidence that you know you're capable of doing it. And, and when it comes, it's something familiar. You know, you know, you know how you're going to react. You know how to push through it, and you know that what you're capable of doing it uh, when it does really hurt, and um, as I said, when it when it gets a little bit dark. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. We'll be learning more from Matt in just a moment, but I want to tell you that today's show is also brought to you by Sportachino. Sportachino is a brand new sports breakfast show. It's on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and on Periscope every single weekday morning from 8 GMT. You can also watch it back on those channels as well. Covers all range of topics with sports, health, fitness, nutrition, and travel, all crammed into 30 minutes, and it's hosted by yours truly. If you get a moment, what I'd love for you to do is to like the Facebook page, that's facebook.com forward slash Sportachino, or follow us on Twitter at Sportachino. It would really matter a great deal to me if you could do that. That's Sportachino, S-P-O-R-T-U-C-C-I-N-O. They are today's sponsor. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Matt Langridge. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. So on those horrible Wednesdays, those dreaded Wednesdays, how much recovery time do you then need for that? Or are you back in the boat the next day? And and roughly how many times a week and for how long are you training each week? So, yeah, on the Wednesday, so the Wednesday would be a half day. 
Um, so we'd usually finish that test by about midday, uh, and then we'd have the rest of the afternoon off, and then we'd back in the boat on the Thursday. Um, but yeah, we we generally t- train seven days a week. Um, so it it and we'd get probably maybe a day off, uh, maybe one or two days off a month. So it's pretty full on. You have to you have to learn how to recover quickly. Um, you spend a lot of time having afternoon naps, trying to trying to recover and early nights. Um, I mean, I think definitely with rowing, that was the uh, the big thing as well. I I had to learn as well through my career is that the recovery time is almost as as important, if not more important, than the training, um, because that's um, if you're not getting the recovery and then the training isn't going to give you the benefit that it should do. Um, but yeah, we, we train seven days a week. Um, we'd, gem- we'd start every morning at half seven. Um, on a Monday, Tuesday, we'd do three sessions. So we'd be finished by half four, four o'clock. Uh, Wednesday would be a short day. That would just be two sessions, finished by midday. Thursday, Friday would be a three-session day. So we'd finish by four o'clock. Um, Saturday would be a two-session day. So we'd finish by about one. And then Sunday would just be a one-session day. And you'd be out of there by half ten, eleven. Oof. So, uh, you know, that that sounds absolutely exhausting, the fact you, you get no days off. But is your body always sore or does it just get used to it? <laughs> it, never get, it never gets used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the point. Of the, uh, the point of training is to, is to constantly push the body and... Um, and to, to get that training effect, you have to stress the body. So just just as you think you're getting used to it, it gets increased and uh, you go back to being sore and tired again. So, um, I mean, I think, yeah, you you, you get used to being tired. Um, you de- obviously, uh, rowing does, the, the training is does go in cycles and phases. So there'll be, certainly in the winter is when we do our big mileage, we do a lot of weight. So that's when I guess you're most tired and obviously it's cold as well. So, you do spend a lot of the winters just feeling exhausted. Um, but then as you come to the summer and you come more to racing, you do get a little bit more time and um, you get a bit more recovery time and, and suddenly you, you you bounce back. And by the time you get to the Olympics, you, you feel absolutely great and ready to go. And you're almost, um, you almost want to do more training going into it because you, you feel you've got so much energy and that's the way that Jürgen makes the training so that you so come to the Olympics, you're absolutely on top of your game and, and you feel the best you've ever felt in four years. But unfortunately, to get there, it means that you spend that the rest of that four years pretty exhausted and pretty knackered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds very tiring. Is there anything in particular in your post-recovery routine that you have? Is there anything in particular you drink? Do you have a massage? Do you immediately have a nap? Like, What are you doing almost immediately once you finish training to try and give yourself that best chance of getting good healthy recovery i know you mentioned having a nap but is there anything you, you eat or massage or anything like that that you do yeah well i mean obviously yeah, I, I i definitely uh do a lot of sleeping uh i like to sleep quite often when i'm in full training i sleep between the sessions so i would uh, after the second after the first session in the morning i'd, I'd eat and then i'd probably go and have half an hour 20 minutes and uh, we have a kind of crew dormitory at, at the training center you could go and quick sleep in uh i'd usually have a sleep straight after when i get back uh but then uh, the other thing is um i do have a massage um so for me i always felt that a soft tissue massage kind of helped loosen up my muscles and so i try and generally have one of them at least once a week 
Um, and then the other thing is, it, it, we kind of really gets drilled into us at an early early age is making sure we fuel properly. Um, so if we're doing a weight session, I try and have have some milk um, uh, and just making sure. I mean, we're really lucky at Cavisham that we've we've got a really great chef uh, called Omar who provides us with great food. So that that really takes a lot of the stress out. Of eating and we're able to finish a session and straight away go and have a good healthy meal and we, mm. we don't have to worry about it we don't have to think about it um but yes it's making sure that we're fueling up properly and trying to fuel as quickly as we can after racing uh and then the other, the other thing i'd do maybe is every now and again working with recovery leggings or but generally a lot of my um my recovery strategy was to spend as much time as possible with my feet up <laughs> yeah, I tried some compression tights the other day. Uh, they didn't really do much for me, but then I'm not an Olympic champion rower. D- do do they really help you? Do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's one of those things that it's. I don't know really. It might it might be a placebo effect. Um, mm. I definitely felt that to get the benefit, you have, you'd have to have them quite tight. So they do have to be quite small. But um, I think I mean it. it I don't know if it's a placebo effect or whether whether they genuinely help. I think a lot of it is you're just trying to do everything you can to to do the best to get the best recovery. And if you if you feel you're doing that, then often often it can work. Uh, I mean, I would definitely I wouldn't use them on a regular basis, but in the build up to say a race or an ergo test, um, a test on the row machine, I, I would definitely use them just to try and feel like in my head I was doing everything I possibly could to get myself as recovered as I possibly could be. Uh, to make sure I performed. So I, I, I can't honestly say whether it's a placebo effect or, or whether, but for me, it kind of, it, it just made me feel I was doing that extra bit to, to make sure I was fully recovered. And so in that sense, I think they did help me, but uh, whether it's a, said it's, whether it's a genuine effect or whether it's in my head, I, either way, I think it, yeah, it, it, it did help me. But I think the main thing for me was I was just, I, I felt like I was doing that extra bit to get that extra bit of recovery and, and doing everything I could to to fully be recovered. Uh, on that topic, do you have any particular routines or superstitions which may not necessarily help you, but they're just kind of all part of your process, maybe pre-race or during training? Is, is, is there anything which not necessarily most people do, but you do that helps you perform your best? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I think um, over... I, I wouldn't say I'm superstitious, but I think I... Uh, um, I, I've definitely developed a routine um, that, I, that I do build up to a race. I think for me, the, the main thing is is to make it, to, to get a set routine, to make it as familiar as possible. Just certainly when you're going into a big race or a big, or say a, a test on a row machine or a big test, when you get nervous, I always find there's comfort in familiarity. So if I was doing something that I'd, I'd done time and time again, um, it just made me more familiar and it, it, it kind of settled my nerves and, and made me feel a bit more relaxed. Uh, so I, even to the point where I would listen to a, a playlist that I've developed and it, it would just be the same playlist, the same songs. Um, I mean, it was only um, four songs, um, but I would listen to them for about 20 minutes, um, just another 20 minutes before, as part of my routine. And, just the fact it was the same four songs that I'd heard over and over again uh, made it even even when I was at really, 
even if I was in Rio, it felt like it was the same routine that I'd done when I was at Cavendish or when I was racing Lucerne or wherever I'd been in the world doing whatever I was doing. It was it was just that familiarity. Mm. So I, I definitely developed a set routine that I that I got like the night before a race and then built in the hours building up to a race. And then no matter what time of day it was, no matter where it was, it was that familiarity that that I could feel comfort in. So I've got to ask, what are those four songs, Matt? Uh, they're, they're quite random ones. But, um, uh, I don't actually know the names. I've kind of... Um, uh, yeah, I can't actually remember the names of them. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of... They're, they're gen- I'm not a big fan of... Um, so before a race, for me, it's, it's, not mess- it's not about pumping myself up. It's about... Um, uh, it's about almost relaxing myself, mm-hmm. but, uh, so it's about keeping myself calm because I, I know that when come come the race, come be next to somebody that I'm going to give it all my all. And so for me, it was about trying to be as relaxed as possible going into it. Uh, one of them is Follow the Sun. Um, I can't remember who it's by, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a nice relaxing, chilled out song. Uh, oh, the other one is uh, is uh, the Coldplay song Magic. Okay. Uh, that that's one of the other ones. Uh, I think uh, one of them might be the end music to the uh, the last um, the last scene in Sons of Anarchy. It was a uh, I'd been watching the series while we'd been on training camp, and uh, for some reason I quite like the last the last song. Um, the very end uh, scene on it, there's a, a song playing, and I quite liked it. And put that in um and i think the other one might be another coldplay song actually oh, okay. uh, but they're, they're just generally relaxed chill that songs that um that yeah i just i just liked and kind of helps me to feel relaxed going into um into uh yeah into a race or into a test mm-hmm. i mean having said that i'm not superstitious actually for the last three ergo tests i've done i've won i've won the same more than one <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know why, but I um, I haven't had a PB on my ergo test um, on my rowing machine test for for a while, and then this year I've done three of them. And I um, after the first one, for some reason, it went really well. But I didn't want to change it again. I didn't want to change anything, so I just made sure on each one I wore the exact same exact same um, uh, racing suit or rowing suit, whichever you like. Yeah. Um, uh, all three times but yeah other than that I'm not that superstitious I definitely don't wear the same socks in every race <laughs> well I hope you at least wash that suit um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, definitely I, I was considering at one point I was considering wearing it under my uh, GB Lycra uh, under my Olympic Lycra for the final but I thought well, that might be a bit far probably wouldn't help me in the best way so. <laughs> well you had success anyway even without that suit and uh, yeah. you know you You've now got the full collection of medals. You got bronze in two thousand eight, silver in London, now gold in Rio. I just yeah, wanted... it's, actually, it's actually the way around. Unfortunately, I didn't do it the perfect way around. It was the silver in Beijing, uh, the bronze in London, and then the gold. In... Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, it's it's not the uh, <laughs> the bronze is the bit of the step down. It would have been much better if it'd been that way down. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was I was gonna. I was gonna ask about that. So, on, on each of those achievements, did they, did they feel like success, or were you going for gold and it, it felt like disappointment? How, how did each of those medals feel? Um, 
Well, they obviously the gold obviously felt like success because uh, um, we couldn't have done any better. Mm. Um, but yeah, the bronze and the bronze and silver definitely for me was disappointment. Um, I've kind of over the time I've learned to live with them and and appreciate them. But uh, in some ways, for me, I know this sounds awful, but they they, they represent failure. Um, and I know I've tried to explain obviously. Uh, a lot of my friends and families find it really hard to understand because as far as they're concerned, it's, it's such an amazing achievement that I've got an Olympic medal. And I've definitely learned to appreciate that. Um, but for me, in each, of those, in each of those races, we went for the gold. And the bronze and silver isn't the gold. And no matter how we look at it, it we didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve. Um, and as I said, for, it's, it's sometimes... I've, it's hard to explain how I think um, sometimes my friends and family are being a bit, bit grumpy and overly critical. But w- when you aim so hard for that one thing and, and you don't quite get it, it no matter you, you learn to appreciate that, okay, we got close and still that's good, but it's still not quite what you wanted. Mm. Um, so, though, okay, it's nice to have the whole set. I'd, I'd still be lying if I didn't say I'd, I'd much rather three gold medals um, rather than the... the uh, bond silver and gold um, but but it's definitely something that you learn to appreciate and in, in, in that sense for me then maybe it made the Rio gold medal medal more special that I'd, I'd got so close twice before um, and then to finally achieve the gold medal and, and, and also feel like it was something that I'd got close and not quite come off but I'd stuck at it and worked harder and worked harder and, and changed things and, and it hadn't come easily Um so in so in some ways it, it the bronze and the silver definitely helped to make the the gold in Rio that much more sweeter. Um and it, I mean ultimately in rowing that we we never go into it for fame and fortune. It's not it's it's um it's not a sport that you that necessarily brings that, but so for us it's it's all about the satisfaction of knowing you've worked really, really hard for something and, and you've achieved it. And I think for me to have stuck at it over all that time when there's been that disappointment of, of going for the gold and not quite coming off. I mean, London for me was certainly a massive disappointment because uh, not only will we go into the gold medal, we were going for the gold medal in London. Mm. Um, and that, that kind of, I guess as an athlete, to not many people get a chance to go for a gold medal, but even less people get a chance to go for a gold medal in your home country. Um, so I was very lucky that I was one of very few Olympians to ever get that chance to to at home games go go for the gold medal and and um, when, when it didn't happen, it was, it, there was that definite feeling. Of, well, that's that's you. You can go to the Olympics, but you'll never get that chance again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely found that really probably the hardest to take, um, and it, it took me a long time to to get over it and get really motivated and decide that, I mean, for a long time, I was unsure whether what to carry on. I didn't, I didn't know if I could take any more disappointment. And it definitely took me quite a while to rally myself and, and realize that, you know, you know what, I, I, I do still feel like I can achieve this and it's what I really want to do. And, and uh, I mean, it probably took me a year. I think after London, it, I definitely, I, I kind of went back to training in January. Um, I was training, but for some reason, when I came to race, I never really had that edge. I just didn't, I felt like I wasn't quite the same athlete. 
Um, I wasn't maybe as hungry in the races as I'd been before. And then it was only actually in the, at the World Championships the following year when uh, I was in the double and um, uh, we handled them very well. It's my it's my worst result ever at a World Championship. We'd come we'd come ninth overall, um, and because the B finals had been rolled, rolled the day before, then I was sat there watching the A finals, and I sat there and then the eight went on and won. Uh, they became world champions, and it was, it was only sitting there watching them do it that made me gave me the motivation of that's actually I really want that. I really believe I'm capable of doing that, and that's and it is worth the risk of of another four years to because I do believe I can do it. And fortunately, it all paid off. Mm, yeah, amazing how those those setbacks can just help propel you further forward. And, you know, ultimately, you did reach that goal. So what is next for you, Matt? Um, well, at the moment, I'm, t- I'm just taking a little bit of time out of rowing. Um, uh, so I think I think for me, um, I haven't I haven't fully decided. Um but I, I think it's it's unlikely I'll do Tokyo. Um, I haven't I haven't made a final decision yet. I haven't um, officially retired, or um, I, I think I just want to take a little bit. There's no rush. There's four years, so um, I guess it's take a little bit longer to to fully make my mind. But I think it's unlikely I'll do Tokyo. And what what I'd actually really like to do ultimately is um, be a pilot. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to fly and rowing in. Not in a, not in a bad way, obviously, but it's it's kind of always got in the way of that. So now, now that um, I'm thinking about my next career, I feel very lucky that I've managed to make a career out of the sport I originally took up as a hobby. So I don't know. I kind of feel well. I may as well push my luck and see if I can do another job that I've always wanted to do, and uh, I think I really enjoy. So that that yeah, that that's what I'd that's what I'd love to do, and that that for me would be my next my next gold medal. Oh, so wow. um, I, I think, uh, yeah, definitely the you you feel as a sportsman when you finish one challenge, you're always looking for the next one, and that for me, getting actually hopefully getting in the cockpit and flying planes would be the the next kind of gold medal, and that's that's the next target. Wow, and you know, on this show, I've had so many different guests and Olympic champions who've gone on to do absolutely amazing things like John Potter won gold in the in in hockey in 1988 he's now the chief marketing officer for Moe Shandon Champagne we've got Tanny Gray Thompson she went into the house of lords uh we had uh Kaylee Gilchrist recently she's a um Olympic water polo player just won gold in uh in Rio like you and she's now going on the world tour of surfing it's amazing what some of you olympic champions can do when you put your minds to it is there anything you think you've learned from rowing and and everything that you've done in the last 15 20 years which you think will help you in this uh possible new career as a pilot uh, yeah i think so i think um definitely when i i look at uh, when when you look at the job description, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, the first the first thing is like, oh, can you cut well under pressure? Well, well, yeah, I can tick that box because uh, I think the the pressure of the Olympics is it's a pretty significant pressure. And can I work well on a team? Well, I'd like to think I can work well on a team. I've uh, obviously with rowing it is a big team sport, and um, but I, I think ultimately the biggest thing is is that kind of motivation and drive to to set yourself that goal and then really, really believe you can achieve it and, and really go 100% for it. Um, 
and not all. I think sometimes um, there is when you go into these things, there is the the fear of failure, and because of that, you you don't give it a hundred percent. But I think what I've learned from rowing as well, you, you've got to give it. If you don't give it a hundred percent, you'll 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 never achieve it, and you'll never. But also, if you don't achieve it, you'll never know what you could have done if you if you had given it a hundred percent. And I think I think for me, it's more than anything, it's the it's the determination to to really stick at it, and there will will be failures along the way, uh, and there will be disappointments. And I mean, in rowing, my my story definitely isn't a passive success. I didn't. I I was as successful as a junior. I um, obviously was very uh, from from. I kind of got into rowing quite easily. I got very early success. I won the junior world championship, so. I was clearly quite talented, but then from then to finally winning the gold medal, there was a lot of disappointments along the way. And I realized through that time, I had to really just talent wasn't going to be enough. Um, it wasn't going to be enough to, to get me to where I wanted to be. And it was just going to take a lot of hard work. And there are definitely disappointments along the way, but uh, for, from every disappointment, you learn something and it makes you stronger. And I think I've definitely learned that from rowing and, so I think um, there's a lot of times if I look back at my career along the way where I could have got, I could have said, okay, I'm not going to make it and, and, and called it a day. But I think ultimately I showed that I was capable of doing it and it just took, it just took more hard work and, and more perseverance. And if perseverance, and if you, if you do that, eventually you'll get to where you want to be. And I think that's, that's definitely what I can take out of rowing and hopefully what it won't take me as long to, to get in the cockpit, uh, Otherwise, <laughs> I might be quite an old pilot by the time I actually uh, get in the cockpit. But yeah, I think uh, definitely for me, I, I, the, the same thing. I'm sure there's going to be there's going to be times where um, they'll be they'll be in my next career or uh, in life. There's, there's always going to be setbacks, and you just got to kind of still believe in yourself and um, keep persevering. Well, I wish you all the best with that, Matt. It's been so great to talk to you today. There's been so much to cover and, and probably not enough time because there's so much more we could talk about. But Matt, just before you go, could you let our uh, listeners know how they can continue to follow you on Twitter and social media and so we can continue to learn about your journey and hopefully see you become a pilot as well, please. And also anything else you'd like to, to mention or promote on the show? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think... Uh, I'll... Uh, if people like to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Matt Langridge Eight. Uh, it's at Matt Langridge Eight. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think. Um, I mean, I, th- I think for me, I guess uh, the only other thing I'd want to mention um, for any in- um, inspiring uh, sports star out there, I was I was originally inspired by the Olympics. I originally got into Rome by watching Steve Redgrave and Matthew Pinson win the gold medal in Athens and that was what first made me realise that Rome was a sport so the great thing is about the Olympics is every four years you get to see all these sports and I think for any any kids out there listening or in fact anyone out there listening um, I would always say go and try as many sports as you possibly can because the great thing about sports is there's so many of them and you don't know what, which one is going to suit you and that you can enjoy and be competitive, uh, competitive in unless you try them so I definitely recommend anyone uh, anyone try them but yeah if, if anyone likes to follow me further in my career then if you follow me on Twitter or, uh, I'm, I'm not as good as some of the others on social media but I try my best <laughs> I'm sure you do great 
Matt, it's been so great to talk you talk to you. Thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for being the best in the world. Thanks a lot. It's very nice to speak to you. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Well, if you enjoyed that chat with Matt as much as I did, you can also learn from other rows on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. We've interviewed Mahe Drysdale from New Zealand. We've interviewed Heather Stanning. We've interviewed Etienne Stott. All great interviews on The Best in the World. Go back and listen to the back catalogue. It's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, and it's on the website richardparr.net. Check them all out. And then even if you want to listen away from rowing, we've got other great guests as well. Perhaps you enjoy snooker. You can listen to Stephen Hendry. He's been on the podcast. Maybe you like MMA. Ken Shamrock has been on the show. That's a fantastic chat with him. Very controversial. You might want to go and listen to that one. We've also had Veronica Campbell-Brown. Lots of top great guests and amazing athletes that you can learn from to help improve your everyday life or your sporting ambitions. This is the perfect show to do that. If you've got any feedback for the program, send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Richard underscore par. Maybe send us a comment on the website, richardparr.net. I'd love to hear from you. And if you are listening on iTunes, press the subscribe button and give me a rating and review. It really matters a lot. You know, the rating can be anything, the review can be anything, but just please get involved. Tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like, and we can help improve the show. If there's a particular guest you'd like me to interview, let me know who you'd like to hear from, because that's what we love to do on the show. We love to learn from the very best. I've got another amazing guest for you on next week's Best in the World. It comes out every single Wednesday on iTunes, on Stitcher, on richardparr.net. Check it out. Hope you're having a great day and I'll speak to you next Wednesday. Take care. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.